what's less expensive to develop into those different plastics and gasolines and all the rest of it. So the sweetest is the best. And by the way, I have not been able to find the people that actually taste it to see if it's sweet. I have asked and well, I have asked people smile at me and they don't have actually, oil on their teeth when they do it. So I know it's not them. No, it's actually the profitability of that oil is sweet. Ah, okay. Okay. So the teeth should be green from money rather than blackish well, from oil. Once more under the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and Jeff McClure, McClure where we will say such exciting things as, hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes, and we will uh, stroke our beards, which you should be able to hear to some extent through the microphone. And act like we know things. Uh, we're going to talk about the economy. This is the personal wealth coach. And before we get talking about the economy, first, this is our first week back from vacation. So we may be stumbling and moaning like zombies as we try to speak intelligibly for two hours. That isn't necessarily the standard we usually keep. But after a week of rest, we should have some intelligibility to us, I would assume. Hopefully, uh, past performance is no guarantee of future intelligibility. I say that 10 times fast. All right, so that was our first disclosure. We're back from vacation and maybe still have a little bit of vacation mind, which is good for us, maybe not for everybody else. Uh, so every disclosure has an opposite. Uh, next, we are bald. We are bearded. We are two people that like to think about the economy and economics in general and then have weird observations to make and tell. Uh, so as the personal wealth coach, the first regulatory disclosure should tell the other ones. We like bad puns. That's not a regulatory disclosure, but that's just ethical to say that in advance before we destroy anyone who cannot take bad puns. Um, uh, the SEC, however, requires us to say some things because the two people that are talking well, there's only one of us talking at the moment, but there's two people willing to talk on this program, um, are the principals at a firm called The Personal Wealth Coach. This radio program is called The Personal Wealth Coach. The firm is registered with the SEC to give fiduciary investment advice, and that's not something we can do on the air. Um, well, then what are you guys doing if you can't advise us on what to do? Why, why are we even listening? Well, I don't know why you're listening. I'm, I didn't endorse this program in it, but... I guess, I guess we did endorse this program, didn't we? Um, right. So what we're going to try to do is give you education because uh, advice requires confidentiality and knowing everybody that's listening. And while we believe we may know all two that are listening, um, it's still not private. So we can't give advice on the air. We have to give education on the air. So we'll be talking about the economy in general, some concepts about how to act in economic situations uh, and in personal finance. Um, just because the firm is registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC believes that we are some anointed individuals. It's just those are the people that regulate us. Uh, they're required to be mentioned and also required when mentioning them to say that they don't particularly like us or dislike us. They're just out there doing their job. Okay. Um, next up, 
we don't pay for this program. As weird as that is on a Saturday morning, and we've been just talking to the staff over at Town Square over the past week about this. Um, we started doing this radio program, what, Older Baldy, uh, you started in 96. Nin- right, 1996. That's, that's the 20th century, uh, 1996. Uh, and I started in 1998. I did a few episodes in 97 with you. And we started because uh, you had done a radio program uh, uh, before in your youth. You've been a DJ. And you had done a television program that you had stopped because you didn't like to have to go in and spend so much time in makeup before going on the television. So the folks over at KTM, which was a very small locally owned business at the time, said, hey, we've got some time over here. And I bet if you come over, we can get advertising that we can't get right now because we're not playing anything anybody wants to listen to. So so you came over for an hour spot. And then they said, you're doing so well, and we're selling so much advertisement. Why don't we bring you in for two hours instead of one? And you said, I need help. So Elder Baldy asked Younger Baldy. Jeff asked Jake. Uh, Younger Baldy is the son of Older Baldy, by the way. We've been working together for a long time, and that genetically breeds insanity. Uh, It is possible that some people can work with their family for long periods of time without. But I haven't met them yet. So we're insane. That's the other disclosure. Anyway, the whole of it is that we've been, I think, through six owners of this station over the years. And eventually we started buying advertising on the station because the station was failing. And uh, we jumped on board and said, we like this station. We don't want it to go away. Well, now it's been purchased and purchased and purchased. And the people who own it now are great at AM. But uh, it's kind of a strange, what, we're not paying for a Saturday morning program. Why are we not paying for it? Isn't this paid commercial advertisement? Nope, it's not. Uh, we talk about the economy because of Adam Smith, the father of capitalism, and his proposal that if you educate the world in how to make better decisions, the world usually makes better decisions. And so everybody gets better because of that. That's the whole invisible hand concept. If you're not impeding people and you give them more tools to do more things, they do more things. It's amazing. So I know that sounds altruistic and weird. We have gotten business from this radio program over the years as well. A lot of our clients listened to this radio program and came to us. And I know this is a extremely long-winded statement about nothing to do with economics, more just our history. But I think it's important every once in a while to dig back into what is this? We came from a time in AM where paid commercial programming and Saturday mornings was not just what was expected. Uh, And now we're, this is ancient history, but when we started at KTIM, it was in the old big studio. This this is downtown, downtown Downtown in Temple. And it's it was built in the 1930s, 40s, and it was it's a it's a big building, uh, and it was a center of commerce. And when we were in there, there were there was a big studio with multiple microphones in it, and then there were two adjoining studios with these big windows, like you would see on television about a radio studio, where where the people behind the windows have microphones too, and they're piping in different things. And we had the 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 news type was coming in it was really 
typing away as as the news was coming in on a strip of paper in the other room and they were still playing eight tracks for the um the spots for for advertising and so on so it had essentially that studio was a time capsule from the 1960s that we got to experience again being in there for a while until that studio was sold and they moved to another place and then this place over here. Now there there's a building with a whole bunch of radio studios in it um, and they're all tiny and most of the time nobody's actually behind the microphone because computers do that now. So, Which is the future, by the way, in but, a lot of jobs. Yes, but in the case of AM radio, I know a lot of people that do not have AM radios in their cars anymore. It is but not the, something that is coming standard in automobiles. Even, even FM, uh, here in, in the, I say here, in the building where the KTEM room studio is, mm-hmm. which is just basically a broom closet, um, there are a whole series of radio stations all owned by Town Square. Right. And most of them do not have a person sitting there with a microphone playing music and doing the things that if you tune into the <laughs> FM radio station, they're being, it's all being done by a computer. Right. That's, which is, that's which what is I just the, said. It's yeah. the future in, in so many jobs. Uh, there were times when we would go in there in the recent past before COVID. I don't know if that's recent past or not. Uh, so there were times when we would go in there and we would be the only ones in the building. Yep, there were a number of times during COVID that we would show up at the building and it was locked and they had changed the combinations. And so we just. That was pre COVID, I think. During COVID, I went several times like that. That's why I started doing remote because pre COVID, Mm. that happened enough times. But during COVID, it was just, that was the norm. So, I mean, so the, the, the world of radio has changed. It's a nice little. A microcosm of what's coming for other areas. But we haven't finished our disclosures. I went into a long educational, not at all. It was my story, not history. Uh, I don't think enough people care about it to become history. But for our story, it was kind of fun. Uh, you want to finish the, the disclosures? Uh, the information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. But we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. We do, however, guarantee and warranty that all unsaid information is incomplete. There, we have. I thought about that, but I'm not sure it's correct. But go ahead. Well, did you say it? Did the, I say what? The what you thought about? What I've thought about is you say that anything we don't say is incomplete, and I think there's a lot of subjects that there's a lot said on where it would be more complete if nobody said anything. Well, I'm not going to say anything about that. Okay. So there. Yeah. We have a whole bunch to talk about, though. We've got oh, yeah. issues with China on the trade side, negotiations with Europe, the European Union on the trade side. We've got graphite. Uh, we've got uh, rig counts in the Gulf of Mexico. So I'm going to jump into that. We came back from vacation. I was in Galveston. And uh, if you've got kids of below 10 years old, Galveston is a fantastic place to go they've got um, sound like i'm gonna give a spot to them but they've got the moody gardens which is uh, they're three very large pyramids that you can see on this island they're pink blue and green so i had the kids tell their teachers when they got back that they should that they visited the pyramids for their vacation uh, they have in one of the pyramids is a an aquarium one is a is a uh, garden. The other one was closed, so I'm sure you could look it up and figure out what that is. But the aquarium, it's all Moody's, and Moody, the Moody family started out in Galveston, and they're one of the original big oil families. So the aquarium there, a conservationist thing, 
from an oil producing family, uh, which shouldn't surprise anybody, but it's some, for some reason, surprises a lot of people. Uh, the whole aquarium is based on the concept of an oil rig in the Gulf. And so there's this big pipe going through the center of the aquarium that has coral growing on it and all the fish are swimming around it because it's what has come out of this is that we're creating reefs uh, with these rigs. Well, in the process, we're seeing all the science behind it and it's very much uh, based on you know, oil rigs and how we drill in the Gulf and what the different ships look like that are drilling rigs and so on. So that evening after going to the aquarium with the kids, we went out on our balcony looking out across the ocean and we could see three drilling rigs, three ships with big drills on them, derricks on their back sitting out in the Gulf. And my four-year-old immediately recognized that they were drilling rigs because we were just looking at those things and looking at models of them. And um, so that's Part of the news is that over the past week, we've put in three offshore drilling rigs in the Gulf of Mexico, new ones. And that's pretty rare. Well, how did that happen? Well, the Biden administration kind of under the radar because every time the Democrats release oil leases into the world, they um, they have issues, uh, <laughs> to put it lightly, uh, definitely to put it lightly. So their own constituents get upset at them for releasing new ability to drill offshore. Well, the Biden administration did it. And this is one of those things that he's not going to get any credit for because the Republicans are never going to believe that he did it. And the Democrats don't want to believe that he did it. But I was there when it happened. So this is on, on the, on the uh, eyes on the rig, as it were. And watching it happen was fascinating. What does it mean? Well, a year ago, we had 16 active rotary rigs in the Gulf. Uh, Baker Hughes does a count on these. That means they're actively producing. They're requiring upkeep. They've got people on board. They are actually producing or exploring. A year ago, we had 16. We now have 22. And this is a fascinating thing. Why, why am I talking about more rigs in the Gulf? Well, because the price of oil which you just mentioned, we have a war going on. It has been declared an official war by Israel. Uh, Hamas, didn't, they've, they've been at war with Israel since they existed. It's in their charter. It's in their, uh, all of their written documents is about destroying Israel. So it's not new there, but Israel has now declared war. Well, just look back through history at all the times that's happened in the past since the 1960s and what happened to the price of oil. And now go look at what's happening at the pump. And you probably haven't noticed a change. It may have changed by a few pennies. That's really weird. Well, why? Because we're the number one exporter of oil on the planet right now. That's strange compared to where we were for the past 60 years. But if you go back before that, that's where we were. We were the number one exporter of oil. We were the only exporters of oil at that point. We were doing things that, why would you use that? Well, so here we are, and this is one of the things that when we're talking about oil, we're talking about gas, it's supply and demand like anything else. And we happen to be at the center of the supply. So our prices aren't that bad. The, the other thing that I noticed on the trip is that some of the inactive rigs out there have been converted into docking locations for refilling big tankers with crude or un unloading crude, filling up with natural gas. So we've got, essentially, we have 
very controlled pipelines going under the Gulf out to the rigs so that the, these massive ships don't have to keep going in through Corpus Christi in waves and waves because it was doing a, quite a bit of damage to the port, having the kind of volume of major, huge ships with mass that just displaced a lot of water and the wakes hitting the shores again and again and again. Because since the war started in Ukraine, Ports down around Houston and Corpus Christi and Galveston have just had a constant flow of huge ships going in and out and in and out, and that causes tremendous damage. It causes a lot of work to be done to keep the port in working order. So now they've got, in essence, refueling or refilling or defilling stations sitting out in the Gulf. So we're making progress on the front of oil and natural gas and the technology of how to supply it at a rate that we've never done. The way we're doing this, the last time we had this kind of a big uptick in our ability to export was so long ago that they were coming up with the methodologies from scratch. They didn't even know how do we load all these barrels in instead of putting a pipe into a big tanker. It was loading barrels one by one. So to see what's happening now, the technology has shifted. And you think, well, what's the big deal with pipes going on? We've had in indoor plumbing for years, Jake. Well, this is indoor plumbing for oil. And that requires a little bit more safety precautions than the pipes under your ground. Uh, that your, your pipes don't have to wage battles in court with massive eight-figure um, checks being written if you mess up. So it's fascinating to see the shifting here. And as, I, as we've been talking about, technology is changing at the same time. Natural gas is probably going to be a major supplier of energy to the world for a long time, decades probably. But a lot of the other areas were hitting an efficiency of newer technologies are more efficient at at providing energy. Coal doesn't compete against natural gas and it can't compete against wind or solar either. It's too expensive. It's, it's too dangerous to pull out of the ground and we have to pay for that danger. We have to pay to make sure we don't kill people getting coal out of the ground. It's expensive and it's dirty. Well, the dirty secondary. Number one, it's expensive. It's nice that it, we've moved to something cleaner. But over the years, what we're seeing more and more, particularly over the last decade, is less drilling. Not because of politics, because the drillers lost a bunch of money. Uh, in, and this is one of those goofy things, but when we look back at the rig counts um, going back in the Gulf, what we can see is that we hit a peak of active oil rigs in the Gulf, an all-time high back in September of 2019. We had 24 active major permitted rotary rigs out in the Gulf. What is that? We're at 22 now. Why was that the peak? That's the all-time peak? You, Jake, we've produced oil for years and years. How is that the active peak? We've got over 6,000 rigs that exist in the Gulf. Why am I talking about 24 of them? Because these are not, the... Go ahead. Not not rigs, wells. They're called rigs. Drill, dr drilling rigs, I think, is it's good not to mix up drilling rigs and oil wells. Right. But I got you. What I'm saying is there are 6,000 rigs in the Gulf. There are more than that. There's about 22,000 wells. But the mm, rigs okay. have been moved off of them. They're not active oh, anymore. Right. 
Um, and so people are saying, why is this an all-time high at 24? But there's thousands of them out there because they all haven't been active at the same time. And when they were, they weren't efficient because they were all pumping from the same reservoir. So if you're all pumping from the same reservoir, you're not increasing the speed. It's like having four Starbucks in a block of each other. You're not going to get more coffee sold that way. You're just spreading it out. Uh, and that's what's going on out there is that when we look at the methodology for drilling and for pumping, we're close to the all-time high, but the all-time high was in 2019. Well, why, why not now? Prices are going up. We got these other stuff. Why aren't we putting more out? Well, we may be. We actually may put some more out there in this next time period in the next year or so. But the reason why it's not happening faster, even happening pretty fast, is because we had zero active rigs in September of 2021. Zero. We shut them all down. Well, why? Because we were paying people to take oil off our hands. If you showed up with an empty tanker, people would pay you money to sell you their oil. And that's not me making a weird thing. It only lasted for about a day and a half. But if you showed up with the ability to take oil, people would pay you money to take it. And there was a time period where there were, uh, if you had purchased a decrepit oil tanker that was still able to be tugged around, it didn't have to have working engines, it would cost you about $17 million to get that thing. And people did this, by the way. This is why I'm talking about it, they would tug this big empty tanker that didn't have engines out to fill up with oil. The oil company would write a check to this person that essentially paid for the tanker. It was more than $17 million paid to the person to receive the oil. It paid for the ship. Then the ship sat in port for four months and sold the oil. And they wound up making hundreds of millions of dollars with one initial loan for 17 million that they paid off within 10 days. So it's one of those things where that sort of thing doesn't happen very often. But this is why when I say there's 22 active rigs and why it's not gone back up to 24, because all it would really take is to tug those rigs back out to the places and reattach. Those are active leases. Why aren't they doing it? Well, because having to pay people to take away the thing that you spent money pulling out of the ground doesn't feel good. And a lot of companies went out of business. So there are there's like a, a trading range that has to do with, I don't want to get too greedy because then I'm going to get left holding the bag. If I spend a bunch of money to get oil out of the ground and then oil drops, I'm left with no, nothing left. And to the other side of, hey, if we don't pump more oil, uh, we're not going to make any money and the price is up. So let's pump oil. Those are the competing factors here. And we happen to be in the United States and in Texas at a central point where we get the benefit of that. And we talked about this in the past. Why is it that Brent oil, which is sold in Europe, and that's the normal buying and selling type of oil price um, in the rest of the world, but it's dollars, multiple dollars a barrel more expensive than West Texas Intermediate, which arguably is a better oil. Uh, they're both the same grade. They're called sweet. Um, before they're before they are taken apart and um, filtered out and changed into all the different things that they get changed into, the the quality of the oil states 
what's less expensive to develop into those different plastics and gasolines and all the rest of it. So the sweetest is the best. And by the way, I have not been able to find the people that actually taste it to see if it's sweet. I have asked and well, I have asked people smile at me and they don't have actually, oil on their teeth when they do it. So I know it's not them. No, it's actually the profitability of that oil is sweet. Ah, okay. Okay. So the teeth should be green from money rather than blackish well, from oil. You, you know, we talk about money as being green, but if you actually pull out a bill and look at it, there's not much green on it. It's mostly gray. You're, you're right. And and most of my money isn't the color at all. It's just sitting in a in a bunch of computers' memories well, somewhere. All, de- all depends on whether uh, an electron, whatever color. Well, electrons have colors, so. Well, they, they do. I think you're talking about things Quarks. in the quarkish Yes, they also but, have but, moods and yes, they're they're made they're, they're they they're, have quarks in them. Yeah, they're quirky quarks. Yes. So, so if you wish to hear uh, less entertaining talk about macroeconomics, that will be our third hour this week. Uh, not really, where we talk about Heisenberg. Yeah, and whether or not observing things changes them. Uh, we have there's some other things going on in the economy. Um, one of them I think is significant is uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that is titled, A Financial Crisis in China is No Longer Unthinkable. Yep. <laughs> and is it, it's, it, it puts things in perspective a little bit. The United States deficit, not counting interest on the debt, is approximately 3% of the gross domestic product right now, mm-hmm. which is too high. Yep. China's annual deficit is 6% of gross domestic product, not counting interest. Why is it we don't hear about this? Is it measured differently? Well... That sounds like a paid commercial advertisement where I'm like, tell me more about that knife. Does it cut a tomato as well? <laughs> I'm just giving, I'm laying up a question for you. <laughs> well, because China handles it differently. Um, what, China, what the Chinese central government does, rather than borrow money, it tells the local state and municipal governments to borrow the money to get things done. And so in order to figure out what their deficit is, because they don't have the equivalent of independent counties and independent states like we do. Uh, Our states are very, very independent of the federal government in many ways. China is not. It only has a federal government. And if you take all of the obligations that supposedly are backed by the federal government of China, including local obligations. I think they call it a communal government of China. Right, Instead or communist federal. government. It's, 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 yeah. it's communal. It's a, it, it is communal. So if you if you basically look at what we borrow in the United States and use the same standard that for measuring as what China borrows, China is borrowing about 6% of the gross domestic product. Now, why is that important? Because the, uh, the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund have both revised their estimates going forward for the next several years of GDP growth in China. Now, this is, this is an important issue. The GDP growth in China has now been revised from 46 to 4% going forward. And they have a major financial crisis in front of them in that two, the two largest real estate companies in the world have both effectively become bankrupt. And, it, it, you know, okay, they went through bankruptcy. Well, they don't have the same kind of bankruptcy law. But the other side of it is the people who loan them money which is mostly Chinese, but some Americans and Europeans, the money effectively is gone. It's disappeared because the properties are valueless. In many cases, they're half-finished 
buildings that nobody lives in. And, now, that, why, and, why, and the why, half that's let's, finished isn't finished to a standard that anybody would want to take over right. and complete. Let's bring this together. If China is borrowing 6% of its gross domestic product every year, it's likely it's going to have to rise or else they're going to face a financial collapse. They're going to have to borrow money to make up for the money that got lost in the real estate collapse, like we did. Yeah, And their growth rate in their economy is no longer 10%, which is what it's been historically. It's now 4%. That is, and their population is shrinking, is aging and shrinking. You add those three things together, and it is an absolute surefire guaranteed collapse if it continues. And I'm talking about a socioeconomic collapse in China. I com- something that makes our Great Depression look like a pop gun. Yeah, that, that it looks is more like the fall of the Soviet issue. Union rather than yeah. our and, and they're, Great Recession. They're headed there at breakneck speed. That is the and and they in order to ameliorate, which is a good word, I guess, the financial crisis they're, that they're facing. They're facing the same kind of debt, real estate debt crisis that we experienced in two thousand eight and nine. Chinese government got around that by borrowing a lot of money and paying a lot of people to build buildings and entire cities that nobody lives in or nobody could live in because the construction is not finished and it's so shoddy that nobody would live there. So, and their population is shrinking and they're building more buildings and more apartments and more places to live while their population shrinks. And this just you add all this up side and note. it becomes a nightmare. When, when we talk about estimates for GDP growth, th- that's a lot more of an easy, easy estimate than people think. Um, basically, you have the two things that make up an economy are the demographics and that's population, working age, stuff like that, and productivity. I thought you said the Democrats for a minute. Oh, yes. Yeah. So the Democrats and the, the pr- productionalists. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, yeah. So you, the, the demographics and productivity are what makes up an economy. How many people do you have working and what are they doing with their work? So that's the simplest way of estimating a country's GDP is you look at their working age population and you multiply it times an average productivity that's been measured in the past there. Well, their population is shrinking. And if you look back over the last 30 years, every time a new census is done in China, the GDP estimate goes up. That's because I just told you the math there. It's a pretty simple estimate. It's based on an average productivity over a given period of time and times the population. That's it. That's 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 the simplest GDP calculation. There's other stuff that gets taken in and out and all that, but that's that's the easiest way to make an estimate. So their census numbers go up, their GDP estimate goes up. Well, now their population is beginning the shrink. They're having less babies. They um, are not necessarily living longer. So we've got them at the same life expectancy that they've been at for the last 20 years, and they're having fewer and fewer babies. Okay, what does that do to GDP? It goes down. If you're having fewer babies, you need fewer houses long-term. And what are they spending their money on? Well, you can see the workings of the catastrophe here, it doesn't really take a great mind when it's broken down to its simplest form. Fewer people, productivity's not rising anymore there. They had a tremendous growth in productivity when they went from their working population hand harvesting things like rice and potatoes and so on, hand harvesting, not with big machines, to working in factories, to eventually working in factories that produce electronics and so on. So the amount of productivity increase there was phenomenal, which is why their GDP grew so fast. Their productivity grew 
amazingly quickly. Well, their productivity has fallen off. It's flat and down. The the, <laughs> the pandemic did not do good things for their productivity. It's still not done good things for their productivity. They are less productive today than they were pre-pandemic. And when you look at our productivity, we are significantly more productive as a people than we were pre-pandemic. You can see that in all our measurements. So uh, the Wall Street Journal said it's not unthinkable for a major collapse there. Hmm. Well, there's, and there's, a, there's an implication. We are intrinsically tied to China commercially. Just to give you an example, and it's everywhere. You buy a new iPhone, it is mostly made in China. Yeah. Well, there are new facilities coming online elsewhere. So very soon, they're, they're, it's not going right. to be that way. But that China, Apple is the last big holdout for the big tech firms. Chairman Xi has advised his military publicly to be prepared to invade Taiwan by 2027. Yeah, That is uh, five years from now, folks. China is heading down the road to economic collapse. And it is not a new, this is the typical response, by the way, of an autocratic dictatorship when we're looking at collapse coming down the road to become aggressive externally to draw the attention away from the collapse. Uh, and just another piece to this, Taiwan, more specifically, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Co., TSMC, the largest chip manufacturer in the world, has spent just under a trillion dollars to make manufacturing facilities in the United States over the last three years. Good reason. Get away from... Right. Get out of artillery range of China. <laughs> and in the process, they're also setting up neighborhoods near those manufacturing facilities that don't have anybody living in them. What do you think that's about? Yep. So the the reality is very clear that we may have a war in Taiwan. The Taiwanese thinks think it's coming. You don't spend a trillion dollars when your economy is the size of Taiwan's on anything without thinking about it clearly. Uh, and we are running out of time for the hour and we haven't played commercials yet. Well, uh, Aaron said he was playing some spots earlier. Aaron, we're, we're going to sit first. Let's give the email addresses uh, jake at tpwc.com and jeff at tpwc.com. That's Tango, Papa, Whiskey, Charlie, or the personal wealth coach. Uh, and Aaron, if you have some commercials, you can play them now. And if not, ha! But in the meantime, we've run out of time for this hour. If you would, however, like to talk to us off the air, we do give investment advice at the fiduciary level for folks of relatively high net worth, foundations, trusts, corporations as well. Um, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we have uh, voicemail waiting during the weekend, real live people during the week, locally at... 254-947-1111. Or toll-free, should you still have a landline, 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can read our newsletter, sign up for our newsletter. It comes out every Friday evening, and I love it. I'm prejudiced. Uh, you can contact us through the contact form or email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com. Find our podcast wherever you find them. Until next hour. This has been the Personal Health Coach.